Today I'm going to be going through, it's really the first, the, the first we will in our church covenant. Uh, it's we will worship the triune God in, in spirit and truth with reverence and awe. Uh, this is, there's a good reason this is the first, the first thing. Uh, because without this, without worshiping the true God, Everything else we do in this church is really for naught. It is out of our worship of the true God that all the we will statements of this covenant we have must be rooted. This foundation of true worship needs to be laid out correctly in our individual hearts and in our congregation, or everything we try to do for the Lord will be unsound. It's like the foundation of a building. That those first those first stones those that or if it's a concrete foundation, it, it needs to be laid right, or the building is not going to be right in the end. And our hearts need to be rooted in with in true worship of the living God. Uh, the the statement begins with, "We will worship." The word worship comes from an old English word meaning worthship, to give or to give worth to. Worship is showing, displaying, proclaiming the supreme worth of God. In a biblical context, the Hebrew word translated worship is shacha, which means to depress, to fall down, or to lay prostrate before a deity. Uh, if you've ever watched you know, some of these old movies where, the, where they appear before a king, and, and people, they get down, on their knees, they get down on their faces. That's what that word means in Hebrew, shacha, to lay prostrate. This is a picture of where our heart is to reside. Our heart should lay prostrate before the Lord. We are to walk in godly fear. Now that we discuss what worship is, who do we worship is very important. Does it matter? Won't God figure it out as long as we're sincere? As long as we mean well or trying, won't he figure it out if we're not really sure about who we're worshiping? Jesus is going to ask this question and answer the question in our text. Isn't everyone that says they believe in God a worshiper of God? The context of our text starts in John 4, 3. Jesus is passing through Samaria. Now Samaria, if you look at the map, Galilee's in the north, and that's where Jesus was raised. Not raised from the dead, but where he grew up. Samaria's in the middle. Jerusalem is to the south. Jesus is passing through Samaria. Now the, now the Jews and the Samaritans had some conflict over religious things and also over other things. But the Samaritans worshipped God on their own mountain, Mount Gerizim. They had a mixture of Jewish beliefs, pagan beliefs. They, they also were, the Jews considered them half-breeds. They were part Jewish, part Gentile. Uh, they... Some, some of the people that lived there were brought there by the Assyrians. 
when Israel was, was broken up and, just, and taken over by the Assyrians, and they intermarried with the, some of the Jews that were still there, and that's how you got the Samaritans of that time. A lot of the Jews, a Samaritan to them was, almost, was probably almost worse than a Gentile because they were claiming the same God and their practices were totally different than the Jews. If you remember the stories of the Good Samaritan, Jesus used that example to show that you know, he was really getting in the Jews' face about it because the Samaritan showed mercy and the priest walked by. He was, he was, kind of, he was showing them that a Samaritan could do good and you could do wrong even though you're a Levite or a, or a priest. The Samaritans held to the fact that they were right in what they were doing. And so did the Jews. The Jews felt they were right. And Jesus isn't going to answer the question. In verse 19, if you remember the story of the Samaritan woman, Jesus asked for water in the middle of the day. In the middle of the day and this woman comes by herself, and he has a discussion with her about living water. If you, asked, if you knew who this was and asked me, I could give you living water. And she's confused by this. Then Jesus proceeds to tell her all her personal life. <laughs> all the husbands she had had and the, how the man she was living with wasn't her husband. And then she comes to this conclusion and says, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus says in verse 22, You worship what you do not know, for salvation is from the Jews. Or as the Amplified Bible says, You Samaritans do not know what you worship, we Jews do know what we worship, for salvation is from the Jews. The Samaritans claimed to worship the same God as the Jews, but Jesus, didn't say, Jesus said they don't know who they're even worshiping. Our statement, church statement continues, we will worship the triune God. The God we worship is the God revealed in the Old Testament and New Testament. The creator of all things, the God of Abraham, the God of Moses, the God of Samuel and David, the God of the Old Testament prophets, the God of Paul, the God of the twelve apostles. He is the God who revealed himself in the three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is the triune God. He is the triune God. The Trinity is something that's hard to con conceptualize, but that doesn't make it any less true. He is the triune God, revealed in three persons. We will worship the triune God in spirit and in truth, our statement continues. John 4, verse 23 says, But the hour is coming, and now is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. 
God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The Samaritans worship God in their own way, on their mountain, and the Jews were attempting to worship God according to the scriptures in Jerusalem. Jesus said to them, it's no longer going to be the case in either, for either, either of you. The Father is seeking true worshipers. Who is a true worshiper? Only someone who worships God in spirit and in truth. There are any number of pseudo-Christian and non-Christian religions in the world that acknowledge that Jesus is, is, is some important person, whether a prophet or a, a good man or a Buddha or what have you. Many claim that they're worshiping the same God we worship. There's any number of cults, any number of... Uh, of other religions that are say they're worshiping our God. The Muslims claim that the, the Christian God is their God, but they they're doing it correctly. God is a spirit, and those that worship Him must worship and must worship. You know, there's not maybe worship or should worship. It's must worship in spirit and in truth. Some translations, if you look at different versions of this, have a big S or a small S for spirit. What is it to worship in spirit? The Greek word is pneuma. That's the word you get pneumonia from. But it has to do with breath. can be translated either way. Either translation comes up with the same result. Some pe- that's why some people go small s, some people go big s. But the end result is the same. We must serve and worship God with our spirit being led and filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. As our spirits are made alive in it by him and filled by the Holy Spirit, that's how we serve him. That's how we worship him. This, we become one with him through his spirit. Our spirit yielding to his spirit and filled by his spirit. That is the first thing God demands in true worship. And that's the only thing that's acceptable. We will worship the triune God in spirit and in truth. We must worship God in the context of his revealed truth, the Bible. All of our service and obedience is measured and inspired by God's word. We are not free to assume our worship is true without comparing it to what is written in Scripture. The Samaritans may have been sincere. And most people, I mean, different cult people I've talked to and seen, I mean, I used to work downtown. The Jehovah Witnesses were passing out tracts in the Skywalk. They had material out for you. They were, as far as I was concerned, they were sincere. But not accepting, not according to, their worship was not according to truth. 
Their service to God was not according to the truth. And therefore, is not what God is seeking. Now, I've been down on the Samaritans a little bit. But there was, I think there was true sincerity to the Samaritans. Do you notice what happened? When, when they heard Jesus, they all came. They listened. They asked for him to stay with them two days. And later in Acts, if you remember, Philip goes up there and a great revival breaks out. Thousands of Samaritans receive the word of the Lord. Even though they engaged in false practices and false worship, many were trying to find God. Even though their worship was not accepted, they were sincere in their hearts and in their seeking of the Lord. Jesus said in John 14, 15 through 17, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate or comforter, the paraclete, to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. We should not be offering worship that is half-hearted or merely form. I mean, I grew up in formal Christianity. I know before I knew the Lord, that's pretty much what church was like for me. It was form. It was half-hearted. We worship from our, with our whole heart according to the word. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your might. We worship the triune God in spirit and in truth with all our soul and heart. That is the first and greatest commandment. The second is this, you shall love, the, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. How is that possible? It seems, it's, it's not possible for us to do it without the Spirit of God in us and living in us. We can't do it. And we can't do it unless we're watching ourselves by looking at what the Word says and comparing our worship to what the Word says and what our heart. It works, it works in tandem. Because who wrote the Word? The Spirit of God breathed it forth. And how are we saved? The Spirit of God has entered our hearts and given us a new heart. Either, without either one, you wind up in error. Either in a, in a, in a worship that is off-base and fanatical or strange or just something that's religious and liturgical without any power. Our statement continues. And if, if, if that wasn't enough, this, is, and this, is, this part is very important as well. We will worship the triune God in spirit and truth with reverence and awe. That awe is also is like is, is fearing the Lord. Hebrews twelve twenty eight says, "Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for God is a consuming fire." 
The New King James says, renders this verse, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Now this is an aspect, I think, I think in previous generations it wasn't lacking. You know, in the time of Jonathan Edwards or uh, Whitfield or those sorts of things, in our day and age, this aspect is, is sorely lacking. Uh, there is a great deal of respect, disrespect for authority in, that in our culture. And that it, it comes, it's, it's also toward God. Uh, how often his name is profaned, used in vain, uh, uses just a common everyday word. It's, it's a, that's a symptom of we don't understand how awesome, and we don't know how to fear the Lord. Our approach to God must always be with humility and godly fear. The Lord's prayer begins with, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. His name is to be hallowed. This, this hallowedness and this reverence for God is addressed before everything else in the Lord's prayer. It comes before his kingdom coming. It becomes before his will being done. It comes before, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. It comes before, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. It is the first thing addressed. We must appreciate God for who he really is before we approach him. If we, don't, if we don't really have a good concept of who he is, our prayers will not be in sync with, 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 with God's will. You, you won't, the rest of the Lord's Prayer, without this, is not the same. His name is holy and above all. He is the creator of everything. He is the judge of all the earth. He is the God we are to fear because he has power to save and the power to cast body and soul into hell. He is the God that has always been and always will be. He knows the end from the beginning and his kingdom will have no end. To serve and worship him in his greatness, glory, and majesty requires the proper respect and awe or fear. We dare not worship him in any other way. He is the one all heaven and earth. And soon, he is the one all heaven is worshiping now. And soon to be the whole earth will worship him. For the, for the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, the scripture says. We're the only people not worshiping him. The people men and women on the earth. All heaven and earth worships him. And everything will soon be in order. Everything, when he comes back, everything, everyone will be worshiping him. Romans 14, 11 says, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. This awe, this fear, this reverence, 
should permeate everything we do in his name, which is everything we do. As the word says, let everything you do be done in the name of Jesus. Let everything you do. Our music, our attitudes, our preaching and teaching, and our service and our relationships all need to have this in mind in our hearts. This is the God we are serving. We are not serving a God of our own making. We are serving the God of Scripture. We are serving the God that fills us with his Holy Spirit. We are serving the God who spoke the universe into existence and knows the numbers of the hairs on our head. And yet he died for each one of us. That's the God we serve. A God that also has mercy for us. Moses ex- experienced this awe, this, this, the mountain shaking. He says, I, I exceedingly tremble and I exceedingly fear and quake. This is the God we serve, as well as the God of mercy. Because his mercy is everlasting, we're not consumed. Because of his love, we're not consumed. Because that's, this is our God. We are serving a God who is a consuming fire. A fire that will someday consume all that we now see. And he will take vengeance on those who reject his mercy and grace. He's not coming back to be mean. He's coming, he, who, is he re, who is he taking vengeance upon those who have rejected his mercy and grace? They've rejected his, his offering of himself. His, his offer to redeem them, to restore them, to heal them, to, to bring them back. That's who he's coming for for vengeance, and for those who have received his mercy, he's coming to take us to glory. And his loving kindness will be forever for us. Truly, we must be clothed with humility as we walk before him and each other. May we all together worship the triune God in spirit and truth with reverence and awe. And as the scripture says, and together with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Here, let's pray. Father,